0: Do you ever stop and smell the flowers?
1: Yeah, but when I do, I only like certain kinds.
0: You know, I think a bee would agree. Do you know suns are different because of species interactions? In a field of flowers, there are a lot of complex interactions at play that allow those flowers to coexist.
1: But how does it all work? Today on Radio Bio, we talk with Dr. Sharon Strauss about the complexity behind species coexistence.
0: Don't know much biology.
1: Hello and welcome to Radio Bio. I'm your host, Lily Pennington.
0: And I'm Jackie Shea.
1: We have with us today Dr. Sharon Strauss, a researcher from UC Davis. Can we
2: start by you telling us a little bit about yourself? What is your current field of study? My current field of study um, is evolving, actually, but um, is the study of how natural communities of species are assembled Um, what allows species to coexist, what determines natural diversity in, in communities, and what are the processes that allow diverse communities to maintain themselves. Natural systems are wild, open systems that allow us to make
0: observations, but not necessarily control the environment, as is the case with lab experiments. This
1: is the best way to understand how things work naturally, which can give us insights into topics like species interactions, seasonal patterns, and climate impacts, to name a few.
0: So what does the word coexistence mean in ecology? You know, sometimes when I think of the word coexistence, I think more of like people living with different people, but like, what does that look like in an ecosystem where maybe there's not people?
2: Right, so that's a good question. Coexistence is when you have two or more species that live together in the same area and it's not a transient case where one is moving in and displacing the other but that we understand that over long periods of time these species live together in the same area. Most plants can't move
0: anywhere once they've established their roots. Imagine you were stuck with the same individuals your entire life. Would you rather duke it out or coexist? Coexistence matters because it keeps ecosystems full of different species, which is an important part of overall ecosystem health. How did you end up studying coexistence of species?
2: I was really interested in studying organisms in their natural environment much more than in a greenhouse or lab. And so I was less interested in figuring out those relationships um, in isolation, but rather how are they influencing species and how they can survive in their own habitats when they're dealing with all the other species that are interacting all around them. And so all of a sudden you have an example where when one species of insects feed on a plant early, then it actually changes the plant in a way that might alter how that plant is used by a species that comes in later in the season which in turn alters the rate at which deer browse the plants. That was my, actually my Ph.D. thesis, sort of trying to understand the network of how interactions kind of ramify even when species aren't active at the same times of year, but still can have influences on one another. Well, these are really complex
1: questions that involve a lot of different levels and interactions. So when you have these questions, how do you come up with an experiment to answer these questions
2: yeah sometimes the experimental designs can be elaborate in that case I had like mesh that would exclude some beetles in the summer and then I had you know cages that would exclude deer in the winter in order for me to tease apart the fact that they how they interacted with one another and so the fact that they were happening at different times of year made it a little bit easier so I was able to like exclude deer but allow beetles in, and vice versa, which would be hard to do if they were happening at the same time. But because they were happening at different times, I was able to manipulate them, that history of attack by different herbivores independently. And do you
1: find that you go into answering a question with like the same strategy, or do you have to come up with really
2: novel ideas every time you answer a new question? Pretty much. You have to design every experiment to uniquely answer questions. It's kind of hard because sometimes your questions evolve in the middle of your project and you realize you haven't taken quite the right data or quite the right approach to answer the second question that you think is more interesting, but it's already too late because you've started designing your experiment to answer the first question, but you make do. And then you follow up with another experiment in another year where you do it right but every question seems to require its own unique design. So
0: what are some of the questions you're working on right now?
2: Well, right now I have two sort of major interests. One is understanding how the deeper evolutionary history of species, the tree of life, and the relationships among species on that tree of life. And that evolutionary history often will cause constraints in what species can do, limit the niches they can do. Like we humans will never fly like birds. Our evolutionary history diverged from birds long, long ago, like near the dinosaurs. We don't have hollow bones, we don't have feathers. So we can fly with airplanes, but we could never fly by ourselves because we just don't have those adaptations. And so our evolutionary history has constrained us to playing certain ecological roles on the ground, or as far as we can climb in a tree, but not in the air, whereas birds have these other niches that actually some of them have lost flight and are back down on the ground, but you know most of them are up with this ability to fly that creates resources for them that we don't have access to. Though it is still about how species coexist in communities, but it's also taking this deeper look at, well, what is Limiting what a species can do in a community, its role in that community through its deeper evolutionary history.
0: Mm. That's
2: beautiful.
1: So you mentioned birds and humans, but what systems are you looking at to answer this question?
2: I like to work with plants. I can force them to live in habitats occupied by other species and they can't run away. Mm -hmm. And they can just sit there and I can interview them and I can say, how do you like living in this spot versus in the spot that you normally are found in? And if they die there, then I'll know they really can't hack it there. But maybe they can live there and thrive there. And the reason they're not there is some other reason. And that's always a nice mystery to try and figure out.
1: So can you tell us about an experiment where you were answering this question about species coexistence?
2: Yeah, I I recently did an experiment with my postdoc, Brian Anaker, where we actually were interested in the evolutionary history of species and how that affected where they could live and thrive and so we took species and we planted them into patches that were occupied either by other members of the same species which would be sort of their natural habitat Um, and then we also planted them into patches that were actually occupied by other species that were in the same genus, but were not the same species, so they're fairly closely related, but they're not the same species. And then we planted that same species into a habitat of plants that was in the same plant family, but not, again, the natural necessary habitat of that species. And then we also planted them into a patch of species that was really distantly related um, if you think of the Tree of Life, you know, members in the same genus are more closely related to members in the same family, and those family members are more closely related to one another than members of species or species that are um, members of distantly related families. And so in that way, and we did this for like 15 different species. We planted them in all these different patches that were occupied by different by species that ranged in their evolutionary distance from that transplanted species and then we could say well how do you do in these niches of species that vary in their evolutionary distance from you that planted species and then we found out how they did
0: and so you're sort of looking at similarity right similarity um, between species and
2: how they in, in coexistence in that particular experiment yeah we were interested in what Determines whether species that are closely related can coexist. Is it because they're closely related, they should like the same habitats and grow in the same places because they're similar in their form and their recent history, and so they should, in theory, like the same habitats? Or it could be that. Um, There are many ideas about when species compete for resources, the more different you are, the less you're going to compete because you have different needs. So closely related species that are similar are expected to potentially compete more intensely with one another. And so when we did that transplant experiment, we also created little weeded patches in each of those areas where we removed the competitors. So we could ask, how do you just like the patch? That would take care of like, the environment like the soil type and, the, you know, whether it's sunny or shady or things like that, that might be how determine how well they do versus the presence of the neighbors, which were also competing with them, which might take into account their interactions. And, you know, what we found was actually both of those things are going on. Close relatives tend to like the same patches. They survive better in close relative patches than in distant relatives' patches but then they also compete more strongly with the resident in close relatives patches, which is going to prevent them from co-occurring. So what are some characteristics of plants that can't coexist but are similar? Well, that's a great question. Um, and we haven't actually done the experiments on that, but one of the other areas of my research is asking, well, how important is resource competition anyway in determining coexistence? Maybe it's also about finding mates and how important is it to be separate from close relatives when you're looking for mates because close relatives often look really similar. If you're flowers, you typically have the same flower color, you typically flower at the same time, you might share pollinators. And so those pollinators are moving Pollen between species, if you're growing together, and that could mess you up.
0: There's like a lot of different ways that you have to be thinking about these questions and these scenarios when you're when you're thinking about this. I mean, there's all these different angles and different factors, and it's really crazy.
2: That's kind of what attracted me to it. Like that complexity is actually what I like, because if if it was just finding out whether they could mess with each other, I could do that in the greenhouse. But I'm not as interested in in the could they mess with each other but do they mess with each other Mm. that's why i like doing it in the field
1: well earlier in the season we had dr adriana briscoe talk about how butterflies see things differently than we do and so when we're looking at two plants that are related to each other but they look different they look different to us but are they different to pollinators
0: do they look different or even two different plants that look the same yeah right like
2: Right. Well, they they could easily have different UV patterns that we can't see, that insects can see. But the other thing that we're finding is that floral scent evolves much more quickly than floral color and floral shape. Oh, wow. And so they actually might look really the same but smell really different, and that has another way for them to partition pollinators so they're not directly sharing the same pollinators.
0: How did you find that
2: out? We collected scent from flowers of closely related species, some of which co-occur and some of which don't co-occur. And then we characterized those scents in terms of the numbers and types of compounds that were made. And then we asked whether um, co-occurring species had more divergent scents than we would expect by chance relative to plants that didn't co-occur in the same areas and we found that they do in fact diverge more when they co-occur than when they don't co-occur. Oh my gosh that's so cool. You know I'm interested in this collecting sense. <laughs> so what is yeah. what's that about? Can you
1: I'm make not perfumes? Not like perfuming yeah, <laughs> just, yeah too, like perfuming in the field. So
2: that's a pretty arduous process where you have plants and then you you somehow capture the airspace around the flower. Um, you can put a like a brown in bag (laughs) is one of the things that people use. We didn't use that, we actually used a glass flask that we put over the flowers. And then you sort of seal off the space and you bring air into that head space, is what we call it. And then you have a, a trap that has like charcoal in it or other compounds that absorb the scent. And so you're circulating the air through the trap in that enclosed space. We usually do it for 24 hours because we don't actually know when the flowers emit their scents. If they're pollinated at night, they might be smellier for moths at night. Or if they're pollinated during the day, they might be smellier during the day. And so we circulate that air for 24 hours to make sure we capture the period during the day when they're emitting the most scent. And then we... um, take the trapped scent that's in the little particles of our trap of either charcoal or something, and we put it into a GC mass spec.
1: A GC, or gas chromatograph, is a machine that can separate molecules in air or vapor samples. It's a great tool for this study because Dr. Strauss can create a molecular scent profile for each plant and then determine
2: if they are different.
0: So why do you think that... similar flowers in a similar habitat have such different scents?
2: Well, it could be that natural selection has favored um, them to diverge, to differ in the pollinators they attract. So pollinators use scent to locate flowers, and if you have similar scents, you're going to attract similar pollinators, and then they're going to move between species more they're more likely to move between species if they're similar in scent. If they're very divergent in scent, those pollinators are picking up on that scent and they often move from one flower to a similar type of flower because they actually are more efficient at foraging from flowers when they forage from the same flower's types over and over again. It actually helps them more efficiently gather the pollen and the nectar. So that's called flower constancy So many pollinators exhibit flower constancy and the way they locate the next flower is by a combination of color, shape, and scent. And so if two species diverge, they're less likely to have pollinators that move from one species to the next and then back because that's not helping the plants because then they're getting pollen from other species that isn't doing them any good. Mm. So natural selection and species that come together in the same area initially, if they smell the same, they're gonna suffer from getting pollen from other species in that area. So if there are mutations that cause the scent to diverge, that means that pollinators won't move as often between the species, then that would be, those individuals will set more seed and those traits will be propagated in the next generation and pretty soon you'll have populations of plants that diverge in their floral scent. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we think it, it happens. All organisms have to wait for these random mutations to show up or getting genes, genetic mutations from other populations that might come in through other pollinators. They have to wait for a favorable mutation that causes the scent to diverge to arise. And then, if it arises, it's not guaranteed to arise. If it doesn't arise, then maybe one of those species will just always outcompete the other and they won't coexist. Mm-hmm. But if it does arise, and they start to diverge in their pollinators, then that's going to allow them to coexist. So it's another mechanism, getting back to your question, about how can species coexist that isn't all about competition. Mm. These are other mechanisms that might allow them to coexist.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I know there are plants that are shaped certain ways to attract different pollinators, like hummingbird pollinated plants look differently than bee pollinated plants. But I've never heard of, like, scent specialization in pollinators. So do you have any examples
2: of plants that have certain scents to attract certain pollinators? In the Alpine Sky Pilot in Colorado, where um, this flower has low and high elevation plants and in the high elevation plants, the plants are sweet smelling and they smell, and they're pollinated by bumblebees, where in the low elevation plants, are skunky-smelly, and they're pollinated by ants. Um, That's a pretty famous example of scent being super important. There are also some small differences in shape among those flowers, but scent is overwhelmingly the big difference there. So the same species of plant has these different smells. And that's because the different pollinators are dominant on different parts of that elevational gradient.
1: So when we look at plants, they're really different, or they can be really similar, but how much of these differences... Um, is driven by pollinator choice like do pollinators play a really
2: big role in plant evolution we think that pollinators play a big role in plant evolution because plants are kind of stuck they can't move their gametes around so unless your wind unless a plant is wind pollinated or water pollinated it is pretty much rely it pretty much relies on having pollinators move their gametes their pollen to a stigma where um, the ovule is waiting to be fertilized to make the the fertile seed and vice versa the female plant is waiting for the pollen to be deposited Um, and so there have just been these elaborate Um, relationships that have evolved with nectar rewards and pollen rewards even scent rewards for some tropical bees they actually are rewarded by the scent and the males collect the scent and make bouquets to attract the females that is amazing (laughs) bouquets of scents that's pretty romantic (laughs) perfumes male perfumes wow
0: Wow oh my gosh i love it and it's happening in nature Wild. In the wild.
2: Tropical euglossine wow. bees do that.
0: Oh, how cool. It's,
1: it's
2: amazing. What kind of advice
0: do you have to give to students? Um, if they're fascinated by these subjects and their curiosity is driving them to these questions, where would be a great place to, to start?
2: Well, a really great place to start is nature. I mean, just going out there and observing and smelling and watching sitting in one place and just looking which a lot of people you know just tend to sort of walk and don't really you know take the time to just sit and observe sit down in one place and observe interactions for 10 minutes and write them down on your notebook and just take some time to absorb what's going on out there because usually I get excited by things that I notice and that appeal to me, that I see outside. It's it's sort of this interplay between what does the theory of the field say, but what is it that I observe out there, too? And those things kind of talk to each other to make a good project. So you need the theory for the overarching framework, because otherwise we're just saying, well, this pollinator does this, and that pollinator does that, and this pollinator does the next thing. and Those are cool little examples, but they're not giving you a cohesive view of what's going on. So you really need to knit together all those examples to come up with, well, when is this pollinator important? And why do we see this? And what are the other conditions? Can we make predictions about why we think this relationship is important or when it's important or how does it determine coexistence? And then apply it to other systems. And that's when we start to feel like we move forward and we're not just looking at little isolated gee whiz cases, which are super cool and exciting, and nature is always full of exceptions to any theory that you can come up with, which is sort of the fun thing.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> we are going to say thank you for joining us today and for sharing conversation with us about coexistence and ecosystems and-, and sense. And floral sense. <laughs> Interaction and interbiotic interactions. So it's really great to interact with you today. Mm, (laughs) uh, Likewise. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you.
1: This episode was produced by Rohit Gupta and edited by Julia Alvarez and Lily Pennington. The interviewers were Jackie Shea and Lily Pennington. Episode artwork was created by Jackie Shea. Radio Bio is supported by the Quantitative and Systems Biology Graduate Group and the Graduate Division at the University of California, Merced. For more information, you can visit our website at radiobio.net or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.